0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to christ-community.com. All right, let's get started.
1: Now let's continue to worship with the reading and preaching of God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from Micah chapter 1 verses 2 through 9 and chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images, since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people, from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. This is the word of God. God, thanks be to God.
0: Okay, so as we uh, dive into some of this uh, interesting, tough scripture, perhaps, I'll ask a, a question of us this morning uh, just to get us thinking a little bit about some of the the theme here. And it's this, uh, how often do you think about the concept of ROI? You think about ROI a lot? Or is it like, what are you even talking about, dude? uh listen i was working in john's creek just about a year ago i heard the concept of roi a lot uh right uh if you don't know why i might have heard of that in john's creek we'll talk about that later uh return on investment right that's what that means uh return on investment how often do you think about the return on your investment right uh anything anytime we invest we expect some kind of return, don't we? If you invest your money, you invest your time, you invest your, your energy, right? You expect that there's there's some kind of return uh, that's coming, right? Here are a few of the worst investment decisions ever, according to Money Wise. Uh, they they could have had some serious return on investment here, right? Apple. While Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak ultimately became Silicon Valley gods, after launching Apple Computer in 1976, co-founder Ron Wayne made what turned out to be the costliest cash out of his life. 12 days after joining Apple for a 10% stake in the startup, he sold it for $800. (laughs) Right, and I, you know, if the computer looked like that, I kind of get it, I guess. But uh, it's not a not bad for a short term profit at the time. But if he owned Apple stock today, uh, it would be worth over eighty million. <laughs> uh, Google, yeah. Do you? It says uh, don't remember the internet portal Excite. This early search engine is primarily known today for the mind-boggling 1999 decision by its CEO, I won't even say his name, poor guy, uh, to pass on purchasing an oddly named startup called Google for a mere $750,000, right? And again, that would be uh, worth uh, quite a bit these days, wouldn't it? I I just read something this week about how uh, Netflix was really worried in their early days, and they asked Blockbuster t- to purchase them. And I think the purchasing price was $40 million. Uh, and apparently the Blockbuster CEO, uh, so the Netflix guys were, were telling this story, and they said they could see that the Blockbuster CEO was trying not to laugh at them. Right. And of course, the irony right now is that there's a show on block uh, on Netflix called Blockbuster, right, about the last Blockbuster store, um, which is is kind of funny. We don't we don't have uh, any video rental stores anymore. Um, But then again, who knows? Right? Netflix looks like it could be in trouble now, too. So uh, who knows? Right. All these things. Where do we invest? Where do we not? It's this guessing game. Perhaps you feel that way about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency this weekend, FTX announced uh, bankruptcy, right? uh you know some people are all in on crypto some people say no nah, this thing's going down uh the really funny thing was that uh ftx had a commercial was it the super bowl commercial yeah where uh, larry david says nah there's no way this is gonna work i'm never wrong about these things and then he goes through all these examples of you know people passing on investments that ended up uh being really great and then less than a year later ftx uh, maybe is gonna have to eat their words i don't know Uh, Then you think about also things where uh, a large investment is promised. I mean, excuse me, a large return on investment is promised uh, that never materializes. Maybe on purpose, they call that a Ponzi scheme, right? Charles Ponzi uh, came up with is it's like the actual purity, right? Where the whole thing is just you give me money, right? And I get more people to give me money and then I give you a little bit of that money and then I get more people to give me money and give them a little bit of that, right? Where it's it's designed never to really uh, work, never to really return the investment uh, that is promised. Uh, and it's scary and it uh, happens. I, there's Charles Ponson right uh, about borrow cash uh actually i I know a guy who started a ponzi scheme a few years ago uh and somehow he he went from youth ministry uh into uh getting people to think that he was a financial advisor uh and went from getting people to think he was a financial advisor to actually being on the radio giving people advice in atlanta Uh, and you know television uh, on multiple news networks giving financial advice and the entire time was running a Ponzi scheme and no one knows where he is right now. For two years he's been on the run, right? This stuff happens. Return on investment is wild, right? Whether you're investing in the right place, you know, financially, obviously, uh, in order to reap the proper rewards, or how do I even know that people are trustworthy enough right, to make any investment uh, in this where you expect return, and that's normal, and that's good, isn't it? Uh, wherever we put our time, our money, our energy, our spiritual life, our hearts as well. So we're talking about return on investment a little bit uh, this morning, sort of. We're in this series, What's Good, where we're looking at Prophet Micah. Uh, A lot of Micah revolves around this idea of what is good as God defines it, right? And so uh, the Prophet Micah kind of uh, walks us through a cycle of saying, hey, God has defined what is good. He's shown you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord Require of you, but to do justly, to walk humbly with your God, right? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God, right? That's what's good, right? Uh, and then uh, God's people go their own way. They decide what's good for themselves, they follow their own covetousness, right? And they begin uh, over time uh, living according to that in such a way that they're actually taking part in oppressing others. And so God promises judgment on them. And there's always hope that he promises as well. And we'll zero in on that next week. But this week, we're talking about this promise that, that God says to his own people, not to outsiders at this point, not to people who say, oh, no, we don't want anything to do with Yahweh, to people who are in the covenant community. He is promising something to them, that there will be a return on this investment, I promise you. Uh, And so our title for this week is The Return of Good and Evil. Maybe it should be The Return on Good and Evil. Uh, Now it kind of sounds like a Star Wars episode, I guess. But uh, so this is where we are, this book of Micah, right? And uh, what we saw earlier that Ellen read for us, thank you so much for reading that, uh, is an Oracle of Judgment. Coming from two different spots, uh, one, the longer passage uh, is in chapter one, and that's an oracle of judgment to the northern kingdom, uh, Samaria and Israel, uh, and the second one in chapter two uh, is an oracle of judgment to uh, Judah. And so let's just remember for a moment, why are there two kingdoms at all? First Kings 11 the king of israel right after david solomon his son first kings 11 says the lord was angry with solomon because his heart had turned away from the lord and therefore the lord said to solomon since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that i have commanded you i will surely tear the kingdom from you and i will give it to your servant for the sake uh, excuse me for the sake Of your father, David, this will not happen in your days, right? And it won't be all the kingdom, he says. And so immediately after Solomon dies, uh, the kingdom splits. And so you have almost all of the kingdom that's called the northern kingdom. They keep the name Israel. Uh, They move their place of worship uh, against God's commands. Uh, They move their kingdom, or excuse me, their capital as well to this city of Samaria, and they do really, really well for themselves, even though from day one, they really go against God's commandment, against God's covenant. The entire time. Uh, And the southern kingdom is more of a mixed bag. They're still there in Jerusalem. There are some folks who are leading them uh, in ways that are godly, though there aren't a whole lot. But uh, so this is the split, right? Solomon, uh, the big thing that God was unhappy with him about is he built high places for his wives, uh, remember, he had tons and tons of wives and concubines, apparently, et cetera, uh, and he built these high places for his wives to worship other gods, and his heart was turned away uh, from God. And so now we're in this place where for many, many years, uh, God's people have run from him. The Northern Kingdom did it very, very outright, very openly. The Southern Kingdom has more of a, more of a veneer, more of a facade of righteousness, right? But there's been a lot going on there, a lot of running, a lot of unrighteousness, uh, and a lot of injustice as well. So we're going to look at just a a few principles that we see from these passages this morning, and talk about what that means for us. The first is this: even God's people. Are capable of profound evil. And we looked at some of this already last week, but uh, even God's covenant people are capable of profound evil. There's this uh, cycle of injustice and oppression that that we saw mostly with last week that ends up, right, in this season where uh, Micah and the prophet Isaiah are prophesying into Israel and Judah. Uh, They are oppressing the poor. God's people Somehow, they have this huge rule book of like how you're supposed to handle refugees, how you're supposed to handle people who are in poverty, how you're supposed to handle it when somebody uh, sells off their land. You actually have to give some of it back at some point. No, they're oppressing people. They're essentially stealing that land, uh, says Micah, says Isaiah. Their entire leadership structure is corrupt. Uh, The prophets and the priests work for a price, tell people what they want to hear instead of what God has for them. The kings and even the prominent uh, people in the community are in it for themselves. There's just this uh, absolute corruption and it follows, again, this pattern along this, this cycle, this downward spiral where there's, uh, it starts in the heart, right? It's covetousness. It's uh, a desire for, for good things, good desire for things that are not theirs, though, right? or, or at least not theirs yet, covetousness. And it moves into idolatry, things that we must have in order to give us life which then moves into behavior and and immorality and a decision then of, well, maybe we decide whether this is right or wrong now. Again, we see this again and again in the scriptures of this, this cycle, step by step of God's people or just people in general, right? Going our own way, in particular, deciding for ourselves what's right and wrong. At the very beginning, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We will be the arbiters of what is righteous or not. Again and again, in places like uh, the book of Judges, the people did what was right in their own eyes. They went astray, uh, and uh, there was judgment. And so then there's, there's falling away from God's value system itself. Apostasy is happening, which means eventually there's oppression, there's injustice that's happening, which is a a systemic level exploitation of people uh, for their own desires, systemic level. And so Solomon built the high places for his wives. His heart's turned away in the process. A few years later, Ahab introduces licentious Baal worship into Samaria in 1 Kings 16. And it spreads so fast that Elijah thinks there's nobody left who even worships Yahweh. You know that? Elijah thinks I'm the only one. Samaria started out saying, oh, no, 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 we're still worshiping Yahweh. We're just going to do it uh, up in this other place. We're just going to do it our own way. And so they actually completely started out saying, "Hey, we're, we're doing the same things. We're just doing it in a little different place because you guys are corrupt. We're just doing a little different way because clearly we can't trust you, Judah. Okay. And eventually, uh, it gets to the point of full-on apostasy. There's there's other worship, worship of other gods, uh, going on there, uh, and it spreads super fast. And now God says, "Hey, by the way, there's still seven thousand people who worship me." But still, that it was down to this very small remnant who still were worshiping the Lord. And then by Micah's time, you've got this systemic oppression that's going on. Right? Abraham, Ahab uh, is individually oppressing. You've got lots of bad things that are going on with individual kings, et cetera. But now what you've seen is like it's seeping out uh, into all of society. And you see this specifically in the longer passage that we read this morning in this, she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes. Did you notice that? There's a strong command uh, in the Old Testament against the covenant children uh, being given to religious prostitution. And that, thank goodness, right? That isn't, that's not a good thing. But this is what began to happen as God's people turned away from him, turned away from his definition uh, of what's good, what is righteous, And so what you see in Samaria is actually uh, they begin to have cult prostitutes. They begin to have uh, people that are at the temple uh, that get paid uh, for uh, exchanging sex acts, right? And, And this is actually funding the temple. It's actually funding their whole project. And it's oppression, isn't it? This is a form of, of slavery. Even in modern times, I've I, I have, I have heard people say that they chose to go into a life of uh, prostitution or sex work. Okay, maybe. P- people can make that choice. Uh, they could uh, come from a place of, of brokenness and make that choice. But, but nonetheless... For a society to say, oh, yeah, we'll let you make that choice and lock you into something that there's no way you ever get out of this. That's oppression. Uh, That's slavery. Uh, And that's what's going on in Samaria here, is that uh, their entire religion and society is wrapped around uh, slavery. And going against God's law in a uh, very uh, wicked way, Bruce Waltke says in his great uh, commentary on Micah, poetic justice awaited their idols. Just as they had been constructed from the silver and gold paid to cult prostitutes, so also their precious metals were broken down by the Assyrian soldiers and reused to hire cult prostitutes in Nineveh, from which we may suppose new idols, just as worthless, would be made once again. Uh, And so God's people are propagating, are perpetuating this profound evil. We are capable of it. Second thing, even the covenant people will be confronted by God uh, when they become perpetrators of that evil. Uh, And so I want to try to make a real clear distinction on this between individuals uh, and the collective. We do have a promise in Scripture uh, that those who really trust Jesus uh, will have discipline in our lives. You look at places like Hebrews 12, 12, which says it's for discipline that you endure. God is dealing with you as sons, as children. But just that second part of the verse tells you something about the way that God would discipline uh, us, his children who trust him who believe in the good news of Jesus, right? It is it is from a loving place. It's never a destruction kind of place in his heart, never, right? Uh, and as a matter of fact, when uh, the writer of Hebrews says, it's for discipline that you endure, it's for discipline that you suffer in life, God's treating you as sons, it's not in the context specifically of, you know, if you sin, if you get out of line for a second, God's coming after you. No, 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 it's a lifetime of discipline. It's a lifetime of being trained up by him. So even the the hard things that we experience, the scriptures don't teach us like, oh, I've got to figure out how to attach this to some sin, something I've done wrong must be the reason that I'm experiencing this suffering right now. Ian joked about the, the deer being uh, let loose. They're on the attack. They really are. Apparently, this is the week that they are rutting or in a rut. <laughs> you got me. But the lady at the car rental place told me that after I had to get a car rental because the deer jumped in front of my uh, car this weekend. And uh, it was on Friday night as I was driving home. And y'all, I I guarantee you've been here at some point in your life. Just maybe it's something goes wrong or Like a bunch of things are hitting you all at once, and you just feel like, this is because of me, isn't it? (laughs) This is, I'm a curse, aren't I? It's like everything and everyone attached to me is messed up right now. Uh, And I I had to, like, believe the gospel and talk myself down a bit on Friday night uh, from just the deer is the just capstone of some fun stuff that's been going on these days, right? Uh, Right. God's word teaches us uh, not to think that way and not to try to attach, like, a deer got in front of me. It must be because I was a jerk to my mom three days ago. No, no. God is treating you as his sons, as his daughters, as his children. Whatever we encounter in life, we can trust. He is going to use it. He's going to make all things work together for my good. He's going to lovingly transform me. That's what discipline means. It's discipleship, right? Not consequence that I'm going to get you, but no, for those who trust Jesus, that is what he's up to in our lives individually. What this verse in Micah and the prophets' uh, uh, confrontations of Israel is all about is the collective, is the plural, okay? Uh, The covenant people together can face judgment and will face judgment. I think that's, that's actually a promise in the Scriptures that the New Testament have the heavy foot on mercy, but there is also the reality of judgment. Here's an example. The churches of Revelation. Do you think about this? There's, there's churches uh, in the, the beginning of Revelation that John is speaking to, and he says to churches like Smyrna uh, and the church in Philadelphia, hey, you are suffering and you're holding fast. You hold fast. There's a great reward for you. Doesn't have a whole lot of of critique there. No critique, actually. Uh, To churches in places like Pergamum and Thyatira, he says, basically, something's going on with you. You love the Lord, and yet, you're kind of turning a blind eye to false teaching in your midst. And so, be careful. You are risking condemning your people to a life of suffering. Uh, to perhaps a life of uh, uh, being separated from Jesus, not knowing the gospel, right? And incurring uh, his judgment eternally. And then to some, those in places like Ephesus, right? Laodicea, he says, you got to come back. Ephesus specifically says, you got to come back to your first Return, cling to the gospel, or uh, your lampstand will be removed. It's this uh, metaphor, it's this uh, visual that's basically saying you risk uh, losing us in your community. You are risking uh, God taking that witness away. that the the great privilege of being able to minister uh, to people in your community, the reality of the good news, the application of the good news, if you do not return to your first love, I I will take that away. You can keep the word church on your building if you want to. Uh, But you'll be like the, the spiritual walking dead. No spiritual good will come from you. It's a very real promise that churches don't talk about a whole lot, denominations don't talk about a whole lot, and we should, right? Because we want to be uh, for decades, for hundreds of years, if God gives us that, uh, a a place, a community, an organization, an institution is not a bad word, right? An institution that goes forward beyond just me, beyond just us, and ministers the beauty of Jesus in this place, Right? That's what's going on here. God is saying, I, I, "I will take that privilege away from you." So, third thing, even the covenant people can face that finality of God's judgment. You see that in the passage. That was the heavy part. Uh, he, he said he's planning a disaster for them that they cannot save themselves from; that uh, they would be utterly ruined. And then at the end, as well, it says. Uh, they will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the lot, land by lot, which is uh, interesting. Like they are, they are taking land from the vulnerable, aren't they? The division of the land, they're controlling and saying, no, you'll, you'll be okay. Right? We're going to hang on to this estate for a little while. Uh, and what's happening to them is that they will have no one in the assembly uh, when, the, when the land is divided which is Old Testament speak for, the judgment will be permanent, right? And so uh, in particular for these people uh, who are fully running after uh, their sin, oppression, injustice, who are not following Jesus, uh, Yahweh at that point, right? Uh, God says uh, there is a finality. The, The judgment in this temporal moment echoes something that is to come if you do not turn. And so, uh, in addition, uh, with uh, the reality of, like, losing their physical land, they would not uh, participate uh, in the life to come. And I do want to remind you, the Scripture itself says, but if they turn at any point, God relents. Even if he doesn't relent from the consequences here and now, Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8 says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I'll pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation turns from its evil, I will relent. I will relent of the disaster. And so even even while there's a promise of finality, nonetheless, even in it, God is saying, Want you. And so w- what this is saying to us is is this: The Lord promises consequences. The Lord promises consequences for those who refuse justice to the vulnerable. And remember that the scriptures talk about justice as what is due to people. Right? What is their due? what is what is right? Uh, to give them. And so to refuse people what they are due as human beings uh, is oppression, is to refuse justice uh, to the vulnerable as well. And so good for us as God's people, as covenant people, to remember this, to pause and say, okay, we'll leave the hard passage for a moment here. All about the hope of Jesus. Amen. We want to be all about the hope and love of Jesus forever and ever. Uh, And yet, there's something here for us to remember there is a consequence. And it's actually a hopeful promise. It really is. Uh, Because remember, the, our summary for sort of the entire series is that Jesus defines goodness himself. Jesus is the only one who is truly and fully good, and he is making all things good revelation says he's making all things new right we talk about it as consummation or restoration he's making all things new and because he is good and nothing he does is bad all things will be good he's making all things good in and through a people that he unites to himself that doesn't mean that we're the ones who get to put absolutely everything into place he is doing the work and nonetheless he's he's doing it through us it's really cool and so part of the goodness of god is that evil will be stamped out fully one day. That's a good thing. It may be hard to look at these passages, but this is actually part of the gospel. This is part of the good news. Part of the good news for me is that evil in me will be stamped out fully one day, right? It's stamped out in me by the blood of Jesus Uh, and the application of his redemption to my life by the Holy Spirit, right? For those who trust Jesus, we're righteous uh, before God through the righteousness of Jesus given to us, amen. And that righteousness is not just uh, declared and then we go live life our own way, That's how we get to the warnings of Micah and Revelation, right? But the reality, too, is the good news is the Holy Spirit is slowly transforming us over the course of our lives to make us righteous as well, really, truly, experientially. And so he deposited, the Holy Spirit deposited the goodness of Jesus in us, and the return on that is infinite goodness. Yeah, that is good. And evil is stamped out uh, in the world through the consummation of Jesus coming one day as conquering king. And let me tell you again that this is good news because what this means is that uh, Jesus will not let abuse stand in his church forever. Jesus will not let neglect or even opposition of the vulnerable in his church stand forever. Uh, Jesus will not let the softening of commands to maybes in his church stand forever. He will allow what he hates to accomplish what he loves for a time, but not forever. He will allow churches to teach that his good news is merely about good behavior using his name in vain and make a mockery of his gospel for a time, but not forever. This is the promise uh, that we must cling to so that we don't take it upon ourselves, right, to adjudicate all the unrighteousness in the church or even in society and thereby sin and become perpetuators of that injustice ourselves. Got to cling to this good news is part of the good news. It matters, right? You know how psychopaths get entire people groups, nations to go along with them in oppressing other people groups, even uh, to the point of genocide. You know how they do that mostly? All you gotta do is convince them you're the ones who are being oppressed. It's real easy from there. We must take great care uh, that in our good desire. For what is good, we don't become that. How? I think two ways. We stay tethered and we stay curious. Stay tethered, stay curious, right? You think about uh, staying tethered. I've only done this once in my life. It scared me to death. It wasn't even off the side of a cliff, but I think of belaying, right? Where you're, you're literally tethered. You've got a rope. You're coming maybe up or down the mountain. Uh, and I don't know if we have a picture of that or not. I don't remember if I put that. Oh, we do. Okay, cool, right? So you're tethered. Get a little bit of space to let yourself down for sure. Stay tethered. Stay tethered to the rock. Stay tethered to the reality of the good news. Stay tethered to the scriptures. It's God's revelation of who he is and what he is all about. Stay tethered to the history of the, of the church as well. The way that the church has understood the good news across 2,000 years matters tremendously. It doesn't mean they got everything right, but it means we stay tethered. We stay tethered, right? Uh, the, the, anytime the church says, here's what we think the Bible says, anytime an individual says, here's what I think the Bible says, that is theology. So stay tethered to the theology of the historic church. And be wary of anybody that says, oh, we're just going by, by Scripture. Anytime you look at the Scripture and say, here's what I think it means, here's what I think it says, you're you're digging into theology. That's not a bad thing. Beware also of anyone who says, we now know what this really means regarding the commands of God, regarding what God says specifically uh, about himself. Here's the flip side though, right? If you're gonna belay down, you gotta have a little space also. You're not just stuck on the side of the mountain, right? So you stay tethered, but you stay curious also, don't you? Right? Not cynical. That doesn't help the church. That does not help you individually. That helps nothing. But stay curious. Stay curious as a careful examiner of the traditions of men. And so there's the both-and, where we're staying tethered. We know uh, the theology of the church, the history of the church. It matters tremendously. We give it great weight, and yet we stay curious. We stay careful examiners of the traditions of men, which sometimes can be really hard to divide, can't it? Absolutely. Uh, And yet, I was thinking about, you. probably some of you may know, there was a movie uh, back in the, uh, I think, 90s or late 80s or something called Lorenzo's Oil. Do you remember that at all? Uh, it's, a, it's a true story of these folks uh, who, Augusto and Michaela Odoni, whose son had uh, something called adrenoleukodystrophy. And usually it uh, would be, uh, something you would know that you have within the ages of like 5 to 10, and within two years, they expected that he would die. And there was no cure. And his parents uh, just kept digging. They just kept looking. They were, they were careful examiners. They're a, a great example of what I would say perhaps for us is like a tenacious curiosity. Not a cynical curiosity. Not a a, a curiosity that says, hey, uh, because there's abuse in the church, then we have to completely start from scratch. No. Uh, There they are. Yeah. Sweet little guy. He lived till he was 30 years old uh, because they figured out this this way to distill some oils uh, that would help him tremendously. They just didn't give up. They kept examining. They kept looking. I think that's what it looks like for us uh, to to wade through the waters of our current era uh, faithfully, to stay tethered to the word of God, uh, and yet examine carefully where have we twisted it? Where have we twisted it? Uh, so that we would not be those who are perpetrating uh, injustice, wickedness uh, in this way. Uh, I'll wrap with this. You may have heard of the marshmallow test. Uh, it was uh, a test back in the 70s, I think, at Stanford. I don't. That would not be the original uh, kid, but they left little kids in a room and put a marshmallow right in front of them and said, you can either have this now or like a bunch of them later uh, just to see how they would handle it and that was a, a test of delayed gratification uh and they actually saw and this has been disputed significantly since then but what they saw was the kids that were able at that early age to delay gratification typically did much better in life they followed these kids uh, along the course of their life and uh i share this because first of all faith is not just willpower for delayed gratification. (laughs) Not at all. But I think there is an analogy for us. There is an analogy for us here, right? Because there is a return on snatching the marshmallow, as it were, uh, in what we covet, and it is death. Uh, And there is a return on trusting the good news of Jesus that we cannot see fully yet. And that is real and full and forever life in the love of God. Let me pray. Lord, we want to be those who are focused in not just on uh, our reward, delaying gratification for that, but, uh, but those who are locked in on your goodness, your love and being those who are not uh, perpetrators of injustice, oppression, and wickedness, but who are instead agents of your goodness, agents of uh, your restoration in this world, who are those who seek out the vulnerable to love them. And so, Lord, we look at this scripture this morning, and it reminds us to be sober. It reminds us uh, that uh, even we who are are promised uh, that trusting in you, we have life in you forever. If we're not careful. If we're not tenaciously cur- curious and yet tethered to uh, your scripture, we can end up just like your people in the Old Testament, forsaking the gospel. opening your people uh, and the vulnerable as well to pain, to, to suffering, to oppression. We want so much to be the opposite of that. And so we ask as we've heard your word heard now, as we take your table in a moment, would you meet us here as you promised to? you minister the gospel to our own hearts that we might trust you and love you even just a little more as a result of being here together. And might we go from this place, taking this good news, its information and its application, we pray in Christ's name, amen.